Welcome back to the world's best Oklahoma State podcast, a Tulsa World production. I'm Mark Cooper, the OSU beat writer for the Tulsa World, and joining me here in our uh, little podcast studio today is Bill Haston, Tulsa World sports columnist. Uh, First time in a a few weeks that Bill's uh, been back with us on the podcast, Uh, but he was with me in Stillwater on Saturday where Oklahoma State lost 48-42 to Iowa State, Uh, just the second consecutive uh, home loss to open Big 12 play, and uh, it cements the first one and two start in conference play for OSU since 2006. Uh, where where would you start uh, with this this week's podcast, Bill? Um, well, I mean, we had agreed we were going to start with the mess at OU and how it's deflecting some of the attention away from Oklahoma State and the issues at Oklahoma State. But, you know, when Oklahoma State is has a game this weekend and OU does not, all the spotlight goes back on Oklahoma State. So uh, Manhattan, even against a diminished I don't think a very good K State team. Uh, you've ha- how many times you've been to K State? You've only been once. So twice. You've been twice. Okay. Well, then you. Oh, you have been twice. That's right. I Four. saw in 2014. I saw. Uh, I think OSU went down the field and scored a touchdown at the very beginning of that game, and and then. Kill score. Yeah, and then Kansas State ended up winning the game by 31. Yeah. Uh, and then two years ago, I saw an OSU team that was down nine in the fourth quarter. Uh, come back largely on the back of Chris Carson, if I remember correctly. He had some big runs in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he did. Uh, And and Mason Rudolph had one of his worst, if not the worst, pick six of his career in that game, where you just thought, what What did you see there? Uh, So Manhattan's a hard place to win uh, for any opponent in any year, Uh, and and I would expect it will be difficult for OSU to go up there and win, but OSU's personnel are just so much better. Uh, there's just no excuse. And then you see if they can block better than they've blocked. That's, that, that'll be the, the first the, thing I watch for. The one, the one thing that's alarming about this matchup is Brock Purdy basically did what Kansas State likes to do and, and probably did it better than the Kansas State quarterbacks recently have done it. Uh, but if you're... Brock Purdy being the freshman for hours. Yes. Who, yeah. like, like stole the show the other day. Yeah. He was great. He was, he was the best player on the field. Yeah, he was. And... You know the way that he sort of faked OSU's offense or OSU's defense rather all over the place and uh, just sort of really had their guess had them guessing had their eyes in the wrong place all the time. That's sort of what Kansas State's going to try to do, where they're going to they're going to put OSU in situations where OSU thinks it's a quarterback run, and then you know the guy throws the ball down the field like Purdy did. I don't know that Skylar Thompson can do it the way Purdy did, but he did have a big game against OSU a year ago, and so uh, he's certainly shown that capability. And then if you go back. Uh, two weeks, and you remember that the same Texas team that lit OU up for all those yards, all those big pl- third down plays, and ultimately for 48 points uh, in the Cotton Bowl, they couldn't even score a point in the second half at, at Manhattan. So I don't know if that's a telling deal, if that's uh, an uninspired Texas looking ahead to OU. I don't know what that means. But, it, but it's just the perfect example of Manhattan being a difficult place for visiting teams, uh, even when K-State's down. But I don't think anybody at K-State can pass the football like Brock Purdy. Because Purdy, I'm telling you now, that was kind of a rising star, a star's born performance, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and I'm going to be surprised uh, moving forward. And I know this isn't an Iowa State uh, podcast, but... Um, And they found a quarterback for the future. Texas Tech has a freshman quarterback who's nice. I mean, the league's just kind of regenerating at the quarterback position. So 
this is a big game, obviously, for Oklahoma State. It's a huge game. You, you can't put them in. Every game from this point is huge for, for Oklahoma State. And, and Iowa State has West Virginia Saturday, which is a, a really fascinating game. Yeah, it is. Um, before we get into some of OSU's issues and whether or not they're fixable, uh, I did find it interesting. You know, Mike Gundy was asked Monday, having watched Brock Purdy and what he did coming into a game, and, and obviously Alan Bowman too, if that made Mike Gundy think at all about you know the freshman on his sideline who uh, was a bigger recruit than either of those guys, and and he sort of you know I don't I, I don't want to say he doubled down, but he did say the plan's going to be to sp- uh, redshirt Spencer Sanders, and uh, he went into an explanation about you know he doesn't like the to play yeah the injury prone. I, I don't know if the, it, it, do you think that's a West Lunt thing? Do you think that's where that comes uh, from? No, I think West Lunt was a West Lunt thing. I think West Lunt was. Um, I won't say injury prone, but I mean he he was uh, you know I mean I had people in the program tell me that he was he was uh, wasn't a very physical football player, he was a very physical quarterback, uh, and you know the play he got hurt on against Louisiana, I think a lot of guys would have gotten hurt on, but I think they expected him to come back quicker and better than he did, and so yeah, I mean I'm sure Gundy may be a little skittish. Is it is it or maybe is it a yeah Spencer Sanders is. A, a big time recruit, but he's also somebody who has already torn his ACL once, and so maybe there's a concern that at, at 195 pounds and with the state of this offensive line, does it make a lot of sense for him to be out there right now, perhaps running for his life, as Gundy said Cornelius did? Right. Well, the maybe we got fooled a little bit these last couple of years when OSU was winning 10 by thinking this is a 10-win team when, in fact, they had a 10-win quarterback and a 10-win receiving core, and that's about it, uh, and, and maybe an 8-win backfield, and otherwise, about a 5-win team otherwise. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much pressure on Rudolph to be great right. and to get to 10. And now I think that, uh, that there's the same kind of pressure applied to Cornelius, which is unfair because he's not that at that level as a quarterback. So you're asking Cornelius to be great to get you in contention to make the Big 12 championship game. It's unfair. And that's why I thought that everything around him seemed to be better than it was for Rudolph. You know what I mean? The defense you thought was going to be better. The offensive line, Gundy called a shot months ago. This would be a much better offensive line than they've had for several seasons. And then you knew Justice Hill was uh, you know, maybe probably the best back in the league. And then you had all these guys behind Justice Hill, Hubbard and J.D. King and L.D. Brown, and, and you just thought, okay, so there's not the pressure on Cornelius to be great, except now that they can't block for Justice Hill and they can't pass protect. There is tremendous pressure on Cornelius to make plays. And then he makes the throw of the year, his throw of the year the other day, and it gets dropped right on a deep ball. That could have changed the game. By a guy who doesn't drop many passes. Well, it could have changed the game. They were down five. And that, that – touchdown there gives them a, a 42-40 lead and instead uh, Iowa State capitalizes turns right around and Purdy throws a 60-yard touchdown pass and that to yeah. me was the pivot point in the game that changed that that won the game for Iowa State that sequence I, I said to Gundy Monday the difference between this year's game and last year's game was Marcel Aitman made a tremendous catch in the end zone in the fourth quarter of that game to put OSU ahead and and some big plays down the stretch of that entire game from from Aitman and this year, OSU had the exact same ch- situation in the fourth quarter to go make those plays, and and it just didn't happen. And right. and on the other side, uh, you know, they made a tremendous defensive play in the end zone to seal that game, and, and this time they got beat for the 60-yard touchdown. Well, um, 
But I will say, uh, to kind of this kind of goes off what you said, but to get in, I mean, Oklahoma State right now, to me, has two primary problems. Their offensive line is just really struggling right now. And their, their secondary is young, inexperienced, and really cannot defend the deep ball uh, at well at all. And, you know, I was thinking about this already, but you got me thinking about it more. Those problems aren't any different than the Oklahoma State's problems for the last three years. Those, no, but you had an NFL quarterback and yeah. wide receiver tandem that got you through a lot of rough patches. And in 2015, uh, I think it, I think Michael Doty from the Oklahoma City Sports Animal put uh, Cornelius' stats through six games up against every year of Rudolph. That. 2015, at this point in the year, Rudolph had nine touchdowns, seven interceptions, played very poorly against Texas. Remember, he didn't yeah. play at all in the fourth quarter of that right. game, had a number of those games. And so the other thing Rudolph had in his first year as a starter was he just had a senior behind him who could run this package better than anybody you know when they got inside the 20 and so that's another thing that Cornelius doesn't have that to ease him in on top of the offensive line and on top of the fact that uh, for Oklahoma State to beat Iowa State they would have had to score 49 points which is a big ask against pretty good defense. Don't you think though if if they stumble at Manhattan we're not going to have to wonder anymore about how Drew Brown's going to look at quarterback. I mean, the, from that the, point, I think Gunny's going to realize that. Uh, especially with the bye week. Yeah. The timing makes sense. Uh, it's a, that, That'd be quite the introduction if, if Drew Brown were to make a start against Texas mm-hmm. as, as his debut. That's. I just think, uh, you know, I don't know that Drew Brown would start, but I think he, uh, he would be have his helmet on, you know what I mean, instead of a ball cap. Yeah. I think he'd, he would be uh, prepared to play uh, just so Gunny can see what he looks like and because – it would increasingly look like a lost season. Uh, of course, we thought 14 was a lost season until until the very end, and then it wasn't a lost season. It actually, that season for a while had a lot of value. Now, I think that value is diminished now. It's because it's so far ago, uh, far back, but, you know, no question the momentum of that carried them through a pretty good spring in 15 and them going 10-0 and 0 in 15 when they had no business being 10-0. and 0. In your lifetime of watching football, have you ever seen a more flawed team? Now, they were interesting, and some of those games were amazing to cover. Yeah, the West Virginia game on the road, and mm-hmm. uh, the Iowa State game was perhaps the most fascinating one of them all. But, but I mean, that team had no bit, but, but, but they were just good enough at quarterback, and yeah. they had a Washington who made play after play after play. Uh, to cover up so many of the blemishes elsewhere. And right now, uh, they're putting too much pressure on Cornelius. It's just unfair. I, 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 this is this is really 180 degrees different than what I expected. I thought Cornelius could be more of a game manager guy uh, while everything around him flourished. And nothing around him is flourishing, not really. I mean, it was, it was kind of painful. To, it was kind of sad, really, to watch Justice Hill the other day. They handed him the ball 24 times, and I mean, I I didn't go back through the play-by-play to count up how many negative yardage plays there were, but I bet I bet he was dropped for losses four or five times. Is the 20? You know, you know how you know how long his longest carry was? Uh, I don't even remember. Eight. Eight yards. When's the last time Justice Hill had a game where he didn't bust a 50, at least a 15 or 20 yard run? Well, that's always been my argument for giving him the ball is because you start to play the percentages. Yeah. Where if you give it to him twenty times, at least five of those he's going to get uh, ten, twelve. Yeah, he's going to get into a situation where he's like face to face with a linebacker, and in that, 
in a one-on-one -on -one situation, and in most cases, he's going to beat that guy and go get 20 more yards or maybe score. So, yeah, I didn't and, realize it was and, and so his longest carry, eight yards, was the first play of the second drive of the game. You know what happened after that? So they get they get second and two. They're upset. It's so they're already up seven nothing, and I, they force a three and out on Purdy's first drive. Justice Hill eight yard carry, best run of the game. Second and two, false start. Second and seven. Uh, then uh, either on second or third down, Cornelius gets sacked. Then on fourth down, Zach Siner drops the punt. Oh my gosh! And so, and then from there on, Justice Hill didn't have a carry even at eight yards. Which is so that's that that oh, that that eight that eight yard carry by Justice Hill was the high point of his day and it happened very early. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a hideous sequence. Yeah. For Sider to drop a punt snap in the end zone, I mean, and there was nothing wrong with that snap. I mean, it was right at chin strap level. It was perfect. Um, so no, they got issues. They got real issues. I thought that was one of the reasons Gundy was so good in the post game the other day. I mean, he was. He was candid. He was cool. He answered questions. He didn't get weird on any topic. I think just because he saw, uh, you know, he just, I think he just, there's just the acceptance that this, we are what we are right now. And, and I'll answer your questions as best I can, but we got a million miles to go to get to a place where we can contend in November. So let's get into this because three of their final five games are against teams ranked in the top 15 right now. Mm -hmm. Do on the offensive line, or if you want to start with the the secondary, are either of these problems fixable in the next two months? Um, I know Gundy said Monday that he believes that what what's happening with the offensive line they can fix, but you know the the history shows that it's not going to get a whole lot better. Right. Well, I mean, he's. I remember him telling me years ago. I asked him, can an offensive line be at a certain level? in season and then get to a much better level a few weeks later in season and he said no I don't really usually have what you have so now he's saying he thinks they can be a lot better a month from now than they are today he said Monday that it's not effort and he still likes the guys he said they're just fundament fundamentals and technique are the issues and he thinks that those are things that can be fixed but like I said the track record over the last four years shows that there hasn't really uh, you know, last year, last year's line was pretty good, but you lost both of your tackles, and I think maybe right. uh, there was so much talk about you're going to miss Rudolph and James Washington. Maybe Zach Crabtree and Aaron Cochran were guys that well, you I didn't. Mean, you, I, nobody realized they were going to miss until they're gone. You, I wish you could have seen some of the uh, uh, games and, and uh, really draw the line at 07 through 2012. Yeah, and how so many of those games were won. I mean, if there was a helmet sticker for any one position group, even when they had Whedon and Zach Robinson in his prime and, you know, all those NFL tailbacks, they had cycle in and out of there and, and a Des Bryant and all that. There were many, many games that were won, clearly won by the offensive line. There was no doubt about it. The Texas A&M game in 2011 was the most clear-cut example I've ever seen of an offensive line dominating a football game on a hot day when you're down 20-3 to and you come back in the second half and just just demoralize a because you're so much more physical and you execute so much more beautifully uh, than, than any of these lines in recent years. And they've got to get back to that. And, you know, I mean, at some point, maybe me or you or us, 
we need to take a little harder look at the at the wickline years and, and what transpired then versus now. And you know, because there was always the immediate reaction after Wickline left over there was that I you know, don't overestimate what Joe's contribution was, you know. He was good, but you know, he didn't walk on water and he didn't, you know, reinvent the wheel. I don't know. I mean he was right. really good and they were really good. Uh, I say that he was really good. I'm just telling you, they were really good up front for so long, and then to see them just languish year after year after year up front, and you're like, man, you don't get Justice Hills coming through, you know, all the time. He I mean, he, he should be statistically, uh, I mean, he should be on pace for a 1,700-yard season, right? And I mean, I mean, he what what is he on pace for right now? About 1,100 yards. Yeah, I think I think maybe a little bit more than that because he had three hundred yard games in a row before Saturday, uh, but obviously, and and part of it's his carry load. The first couple weeks of the season wasn't very high. Oh, that's right. But uh, I mean, I thought this would be a seventeen hundred yard. He's season. he's on pace for. If you count the bowl game, he's on pace for about fourteen hundred. Okay, well, it's going to be a quiet fourteen. Yeah, he's uh, he's at six forty three through six, so that that puts you over thirteen hundred or right around thirteen, a little bit less. Over a twelve-game season. I'm just saying, Justice Hill should be. Uh, um, I don't know. Well, he ran for fourteen sixty-seven a year ago, and he's on pace for less than that. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I just, I just, I'm, I'm just really uh, surprised by what I've seen up front because I bought into the talk. Yeah. Because, because, and part of it because it's not like they say that every year. You know what I mean? It's not like they're that Gundy every year says, "Oh, we're going to be really good up front." Mm-hmm. But he did this year. He said it in April, and he said it again a bunch in August. And so, you know, I just thought, okay. Yeah. He's, and, and, and he seemed very, very convincing. And despite the performance, I do still think that Josh Henson's the right guy, just in terms of, you know, this past year the class they signed was his first recruiting class, and they signed five guys. And I, everything that I hear is, you know, Bryce Bray and, right. and you know, the kid from Tuttle, Hunter Anthony, and – the center they got from Houston, Tyrese Williams, all those guys are still guys that they really like as prospects. And so maybe two years from now, Henson figures out a way to get this done. He's already got a few guys in, in the 2019 class, and maybe it's just he's got to get better players in there. Well, But but even, even uh, you know, Marcus Keyes was preseason all Big 12 coming into this year. He was a guy that people liked at the end of last true. season. But more than any other group, I mean – the offensive line is a, is a, uh, a process position group. Whereas mm-hmm. others, uh, it's more, you know, if you can play right away, then they'll roll you out there. But um, the offensive line is a first year you get acclimated to college life and college food and college lifting. Year two, uh, you might be on the two deep. Year three, they hope you're contending for playing time and maybe in the rotation. And by year four, as a fourth-year junior, that's really when you should crest, right, if you can really play. Mm-hmm. And so it's a process. It's a stutter-step deal. I mean, there's only been only two freshmen I can remember who stepped in and really played well were Okung and Lane Taylor. Mm-hmm. And then, and then uh, the freshman uh, center. Lundblad, uh, but, but that was, he was just forced out no, there. No, no, he was totally forced out. He was the last, he was the last resort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know I mean until they Oklahoma State will never be what it should be 
even if Spencer Sanders is an All-American quarterback, the, the program won't be where it should be until they fix the offensive line. When uh, in in two weeks at homecoming weekend, when the the War Pigs ride in the homecoming parade, can they just throw jerseys on them, send them up there against Texas? Bunch of fifty-two-year-old guys. <laughs> well, I mean, would they give up more than uh, fewer than seven sacks? Probably. Wow, that what an indictment. At fifty-two. Yeah, at fifty-two. Well, it was uh, uh, I felt bad for Cornelius the other day, the way he had to run. You know, Gundy said it himself in the post game that he was running for his life. And I mean, how many times did he scramble from the point where he took the snap all the way to one sideline or the other? I mean, just just trying to buy time and trying to find anything downfield, and he'd end up dumping it or, or getting knocked on his butt or getting sacked. I mean. He ran, I bet, I don't know. I think I wrote that he probably had at least 200 yards just running away from guys. Yeah. Uh, so it was It was a, uh, you know, that's two straight home losses. Of course, it's been documented. You've written it a million times, and I wrote it the other day. They're two and five in their last seven in a, conference. And is it 11 and nine in their last 20? Is that what it is? Yeah. 11 and nine in their last 20 at home in conference play. And then, and then they're astoundingly good on the road. Yeah, they haven't lost a road game since the end of 2016. That, that, that's really odd. That's, uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't have an explanation for that. And their last two home games are against two teams that right now are ranked in the top ten. And so right now OSU's favored in two of their final six games. Right. Well, you know, and you say their last two are top ten opponents and their previous two at home – freshman quarterbacks. And OSU was a double-digit favorite in both of those games. Yeah, well, just like they were a double-digit favorite over, favorite over K-State at home last year and lost, and double-digit favorite over TCU at home last year and lost. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the line in the OU game, but right. it doesn't matter. Yeah. They were favored. Be- before, we, uh, before we wrap up, let's kind of touch on their defensive issues. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this in that OSU leads the country in sacks, not even just by one, by four. They've got 28. The next, mo- the next most in, of any team in the country is 24. OSU's school record for sacks is 43, and that was when Les- I think that was when Leslie O'Neill was, was running around. So they're, they're on pace to not only break their school record but completely shatter it. Jordan Brailford right now is leading the country in sacks, and at the same time, Big 12 quarterbacks are completing 76% of their passes. Right. And so it's it's like they either win big or they lose big on every single pass play. I would play. liken that, stat, that stats sack, which is impressive and there's value to it, but it would be it would be like if you led the NBA in dunks. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's a cool stat. It's a splashy stat. You, you, but you're dunking the ball and the other team comes down and hits a three-pointer. But yeah, or, you, or you, uh, you get all those dunks and you're shooting – 42% yeah. on the free, um, free throws. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, you're just so screwed up otherwise fundamentally mm-hmm. that you get the sacks, and that's a that's a fun moment that gets the crowd involved. and Forces an occasional three and out. Right, and and, and gets the uh, uh, opponent in a, in a third and difficult-to-manage situation. So there's value in it, but I'm just saying, I mean, if you sell out uh, just for the sake of pressure and you've and, – and you're making coverage mistakes repeatedly downfield, you're going to see what you saw the other day, which is a freshman come in who had gotten only a couple of snaps in, in one or two of Iowa State's previous games. I don't remember. But he hadn't played much. And they were hoping to redshirt him. 
and then they have to play him because of Kemp's injury, and I guess they just decided no one put him in a. Right, he was just sort of ineffective, I guess. Well, he got he got sacked in the first series of the game, and then we never saw him again. Yeah, and then, uh, but but I mean, just pressure for the sake of pressure. If you're if you're winning the battle, uh, two out of ten plays, and it's a stalemate three or four of those plays, and you're getting cooked downfield the other times, then that pressure's empty. And those stats, to some extent, those sacks are empty. It's empty numbers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, what... I'm happy for Brelford. What can uh, what can they do? Is I mean, th- this this might be a situation that there isn't a, an immediate fix just because they don't have anybody in the secondary to... That's just it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you can't uh, come in on a Monday and say, okay, schematically, we're going... Totally different direction because you still have the guy same guys. Right. I I have had some people ask me this week. You know, why don't they play some different guys at corner and figure it out? And you know, I tend to believe that if if the two guys, if if AJ Green and Rodarius Williams weren't the two best cornerbacks on the team, somebody else would be out there. Whoever's better. I right. I tend to think that OSU's not, you know, hiding their their best players because that well, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. No. Uh, and so just trying a new corner for the sake of trying him. I mean. Maybe there's a guy who's just a terrible practice player and, right. and figures it out in the game. I mean, supposedly that was part of the Mason Rudolph deal. Was he wasn't great? He wasn't. He didn't show in practice that he was ready to well, play. That was the reason Brandon Whedon, Brandon Whedon uh, languished in at number three on the depth chart for as long as he did, just because he just he didn't give a crap about practice. I mean, he was a grown man with a wife, a house payment. And, right. And you want me to? You want me to go run with the scout team? You want me to be the third quarterback? I'm sure he was, you know, I haven't really talked to Brandon about this. I'm sure there were times when he just thought, what am I doing here? Really, what am I doing? And, and maybe the next time I see Brandon, I'll ask him that. But uh, but the chance, chances are that there's not a all-Big 12 cornerback just sitting right now. No. And so that, that fix isn't maybe – it's either not developed yet or not on the roster. Well, that's why, I mean, you know, when OU plays at TCU in two weeks, that's – it's going to be interesting to me to see whether there's this sudden new accountability within the players to play better and play harder and tackle better. You know what I mean? To do all of that, like a little bit of a shock to look around and say, man, our coordinator just got fired mid-season. And we are part of the reason for that. And, and I wonder the same about OSU if they look around and think, crap, we just lost at home twice. And people thought we were going to win 10. We've already got two losses and at home, and uh, we're just now uh, – we're not even at the hard part of the schedule yet. And we better not look past K-State because that could be – there's no guarantee that'll end well. And then, uh, you know, you got Texas scheduled for homecoming. And Texas, while I'm not ready to buy Texas as a, uh, a juggernaut yet, but they're certainly better than they've been, and I never dreamed that that uh, uh, Ellinger could be as efficient as he was, uh, as he's been really for most of the season. Well, since Maryland, anyway. Um, and I never dreamed that Sam Ellinger would, you know, because all I kept hearing about was those big Texas receivers are going to really be a handful for OU to contend with. I, I thought, well, they would be if Ellinger could get on the ball, but I didn't think he would be able to consistently. Well, he did. And yeah, it's another headache coming up for OSU after 
Yeah. After going to Manhattan. Well, the good news in the secondary is it sounds like Malcolm Rodriguez is going to be playing at a, a more healthy level than he has the last couple of weeks. He had, he had a hit pointer that kept him out against Kansas, and he played more last week, but wasn't necessarily 100. percent And he's fun to watch play. Yeah, I he's just, he's kind of he's got some Jordan Stearns in him where you think. You know, he inflicts as much damage on himself as he does the opponent, but he sure likes to light right. people up. Right, and I think having him back there will help because from talking to players Saturday night, secondary, they said there was a lot of miscommunications back there, guys sort of getting different calls, and which I suppose happens when you have two true freshmen out right. there. And maybe having Rodriguez, who you know is a quarterback basically out there, uh, kind of making sure everybody's on the same page can help him out, and, and maybe the bye week helps with that too. Um, but before we go, uh, you think OSU turns it around this week and, and gets 5-2 and two heading into their bye? Yeah, I mean, A, there's the history of answering the bell on the road. I don't know why, but they do pretty consistently, and and um, which is just crazy when you reflect on Gundy's first three years or so when they couldn't beat anybody on the road. And now they've turned that completely. Um, and then when you look at the physics of the matchup, and OSU's just got so much more speed. And, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm expe- I, I would think that if OSU goes up and just get, just give Cornelius a chance, because didn't you didn't you see what I saw that he's throwing the deep ball better? Yeah, that was that was his best game throwing the ball downfield. It really was, and so give him a chance. Don't don't let him have to worry about um, just just give him a chance to make plays. And I think he's he's far more he seems a lot more confident about finding receivers and, and letting it rip. And um, if you if you can consistently protect Cornelius, and then he converts on a few of those throws and maybe it'll loosen up a little bit loosen things up a little bit for Justice Hill and then yeah. everything starts to flow better but yeah. until the it all starts with the offensive line yeah the whole operation starts with the offensive line and I'll leave this with maybe the favorite stat I found this week because OSU only has nine takeaways in six games since 09 in big 12 games and they're positive in the turnover margin they're 37 and three and when they're negative, they're twenty and twenty, or even or negative, they're mm-hmm. twenty and twenty-two. Like they were oh, even on Saturday. And the three losses, uh, two of them were Bedlam games. I think twenty thirteen Bedlam was one of those, uh, and the other one was a uh, Baylor game. So. What the one down in Waco that you and I went to? I, be- eh, I bet it wasn't because no, because Justice Hill had a couple fumbles. I can't recall off the top of my head. Oh, it was the one in Stillwater when Mason Rudolph got hurt. 2015, oh, they were positive turnovers that game right. when Baylor had that third-string quarterback out there. That was, a, uh, that was the, the beginning of the end for that team, right? Yes, yes, it was. Um, but we, Bill and I thank you for listening. Uh, I'll be in Manhattan with Garen Emig uh, this weekend to chronicle what happens as, as OSU tries to get back on track. Kansas State loses this game. They'll fall to 2-5 and five with road trips to OU and TCU as their next two games, and so uh, for Kansas State, the loss to OSU here could really send the season off the rails. Well, I mean, yeah, if, if uh, K State won't go to a bowl, I mean, they, they'll. This this is a must win for them, even more than it is for OSU. Sure is. So, uh, I like must two win two games. two desperate teams out there on Saturday, which I think should make for a pretty good atmosphere and pretty good game. Uh, you can find all of our coverage at TulsaWorld.com and at OSUSportsExtra.com. Uh, as well as picking up your Tulsa world every day. This was the world's best Oklahoma State podcast. We thank you for listening.